Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees, and it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google/certificates. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. Okay, this is ridiculous, y'all. I'm in the back of a car recording this. I'm in the back of a taxi visiting a family member from one meeting to visit my grandmother and then back to the airport and then to another meeting. And the sound is not so great. Let's just be upfront. So we're gonna do our best and the, our best may not be quite good enough. But so. this is an important episode because it is True. our 200th episode. So it is Whoa. only fitting that we have now done this 200 times and yet, and yet. We are still occasionally on the struggle bus, but that's okay because we have plenty to talk about this week. So even if this is not the longest episode in the world, we did not want to deprive you all of that sweet, sweet content uh, and a discussion of of all things polling. Yes. Okay. So what are the top lines? The top lines this week, uh, the bleeding may have stopped on the president's job approval, but the patient could use a transfusion. We'll look a little bit at how things like Roger Stone and the shutdown have impacted President Trump's numbers. Uh, socialism, so hot right now, or is it trying to make fetch happen? Um, I will try to pack as many early aughts movie references as I can into a discussion of new polling from Axios and SurveyMonkey about socialism, capitalism, and more. We'll turn up the 2020 talk on our 200th episode. We'll talk about whether a primary challenge to Trump could survive, how much traction could Howard Schultz get, what are Democrats looking for, and then there's the snack index. We will talk about what people are doing for Super Bowl snack time. All so Margie, right. first up, we'll talk about what what do you have for the Russia investigation? Yeah, so first of all, it started, you know that part in the fire, not to go back to the fire festival documentaries, but you know that part in the fire festival documentary where it starts to pour the day before they show up and and somebody says, they'll never get away with it now. <laughs> right? like, so it's just started to rain while I'm in this like car in the backseat, this moving taxi where I'm using my cell phone as the Wi-Fi connection. Anyway, so it's like, I'll never get away with it now as it's starting to pour around me. Um, this is anyway, the fire Festival uh, episode of the pollster. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So, okay, so there's been a lot of polling out um, about the Russia investigation. So there's, there's been also polling about the shutdown. The shutdown is now over. There's still polling and the lingering effect of the shutdown and its impact on Trump. Um, we're going to put that aside, though, to talk a little bit about uh, the special counsel investigation investigation in Russia. There's been some new polling, some work that I've done. The Wa- uh, Washington Post ABC poll uh, also came out this week, and they showed that um, a clear 
you know, clear half support over a majority support uh, the the special counsel investigation uh, continuing. Um, there's also, no matter how they ask a question about uh, congressional Democrats, should congressional Democrats investigate whether um, the Trump campaign colluded with Russia? Should they investigate whether there are sus- suspected financial ties between Trump and foreign governments? All those numbers, or what about the Trump's relationship and communications with Putin? Those numbers all are similar, no matter how they ask it. People support some sort of, and this is special counsel, this is Democrats in Congress. Still, there is support there. A majority runs, you know, between 57, 60% or so support um, uh, Congress having a role there. Uh, do you think that Democrats in the House should or should not use their congressional authority to obtain Trump's tax returns? A majority feel that way, uh, agree with that position. So that's a clear sign of support for oversight. Now about the investigation specific. Yeah, go ahead. I was fascinated by this polling from uh, protecttheinvestigation.org uh, where they did a fave on fave of various characters in this saga and like you know roger stone obviously being um the one from this past weekend who is now in big trouble um he his fave on fave is 431 so negative but not that like he does not have there's not really a huge base of like yeah woo we love us some paul manafort we love us some roger stone like their fave and faves are all terrible meanwhile for someone like donald trump jr his unfaves are higher than all of theirs but his faves are also much higher too i mean being named donald trump jr he's someone whose brand i think is much more closely tied to the president than some of these like lesser known entities where someone like a Michael Flynn or someone like Michael Cohen um, is not getting any kind of like boost from Trump supporters by being a Trump guy. Well, I guess right. Michael Cohen's not really a Trump guy anymore. He's his own special thing. But um, but it doesn't I, I really matter. Yeah. I mean, so this was a project we did for Protect the Investigation. And so it, it doesn't matter, you know, Flynn, Cohen, Manafort, Stone, it doesn't matter what path each of them took. They all have single-digit favorables and high unfaves. They're all known by about, a, you know, over a half of Stone, not over half. This was all conducted before the Stone indictment uh, that happened last week. But these numbers are, are just, I mean, it's it's hard. It's unusual to have numbers that are this low in terms of the fave, unfave. The, we had a long list, and the top lines are online. We had a long list of fave, unfave, and the FBI was the only net favorable person or group that we tested or entity that we tested uh, in our list. Mueller was higher uh, than most others. Don Jr. is higher than this group of Flynn, Cohen, etc. But he still has his unfaves, not numbers, faves, two and a half to one. I mean, they're still not good numbers. So this is an incredibly weak group of Trump insiders compared to, you know, stronger ratings for the investigation, for Mueller, for the FBI uh, overall. So uh, you know, two over uh, about two to one people support the investigation continuing more feel that way strongly than feel are opposed to it continuing strongly. Um, and you see that in a variety of different ways. We ask about it. We ask if people feel or have a sense that there's been evidence that a crime has been committed. And no matter how we ask it, whether they think a crime has already been uncovered, whether they think there will be a crime uncovered by Trump and his associates. Um, and it, we had another question. Do you think 
the phrase seems to be finding evidence of wrongdoing describes the investigation and all those different ways we asked it about half agreed, you know, just slight some differences by subgroup, depending on how we ask the question, but it's about half feel that there seems to be some evidence of crime or the suggestion of crime or wrongdoing, or eventually uh, there's a sense that there will be crimes that will be found. So there's some agreement there. And then the other thing that folks should take a look at if they're interested is we tested a variety of messages, messages in favor of allowing the, con- the investigation to continue and messages in favor, uh, you know, against allowing the investigation to continue. And all of the messages in favor are more persuasive than all the messages opposed. And we use language for the opposition message. I know we've talked about this in other contexts. Like we try to, we use the language that people are using on the other side, you know, folks who are against the investigation, like this is a witch hunt and the real collusion is X and there was partisanship among the investigators. And we tested all those different kinds of, you know, this is a distraction from X, Y, and Z. And, and all of those had, you know, none of them were particularly, resonant with folks and they were all sort of similarly lackluster in their, you know, in their effectiveness. While for the messages in favor of continuing the investigation, the ones that were focused on, you know, no matter what you feel, no matter how you feel about Trump and his policies, no one's above the law, like the sense that no one is above the law. um, And, uh, you know, we should just follow the facts where they lead and make sure we hold people accountable if there are abuses of power. Those are the messages that work the best, that are most persuasive to people. So you have a couple big media polls that have come out this week that have tackled, um, you know, president's job approval and so on and so forth. You have, so in addition to everything that's been going on with Russia and Mueller, I mean, again, you have the ABC Washington Post poll where, um, you know, you have about 50% that say that they think they have some or no confidence that Mueller's final report will be fair or even-handed. 43% say a great deal or a good amount, um, but people still believe that investigation should occur. 57% say they support U.S. Democrats in the House using authority to investigate Russia. Uh, 61% say they support Democrats uh, using congressional authority to investigate financial ties between Trump and foreign governments. Um, So there is broad agreement that Democrats should be able to use their authority to investigate things like get Trump's tax returns, etc. But it's the Mueller investigation that Trump has just sort of, you know, bludgeoned repeatedly that has shown some some softness i think um when you see you know those numbers about well is the Mueller report going to be fair or or not that 50 percent say no i don't really have a lot of confidence that it will be is 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 that's probably the best number for the president out of all of this polling the other yeah, thing that's, I, w- I wonder i wonder if how much of that i mean I, you know it, do people sort of worry about you know, whatever it is, like, do they think blank is going to be fair? I mean, there was another question, like, will Democrats go too far? And people said, yes, that was another number that I think was a little bit more positive for the president. I wonder how much, and it's hard to know from looking at somebody else's data, like how much of it is, well, I just feel that way about every, I feel that way about everything. Like if you put anything, I don't have confidence in anyone. (laughs) Yeah, it's not right. That's not going to be fair. And they're going to go too far on X. Like, is it specific to this? Or is it just their views toward politics in general? The other big issue that has been affecting the president's job approval as of late is uh, the the shutdown, the wall. So last week after we recorded, um, the shutdown was temporarily resolved, government temporarily reopened. But of course, we're staring down a post-Valentine's Day second round closure. Uh, continue to be tweets from the president about Congress needs to talk about a wall. 
Congress keeps saying, we're not going to send you a bill at the wall. So on and on the circus goes. Um, cool polling from NBC News, Wall Street Journal. They have actually released their cross tabs of their do you support or oppose a wall question from 2006 and 2019, breaking it out by party. And actually, the aggregate support or oppose a wall or fence between U.S. and Mexico number has not shifted a ton. It has declined from sort of the mid the mid to high 40s to like the mid to low 40s. Um, but there have been huge partisan shifts on this. So Republicans, who used to be a fairly favorable toward the wall, have now over 75% say, yes, they support a wall. So 13 years have really changed the way Republicans think about a wall. But it's also really changed how Democrats think about it. Back in uh, 2006, you had over a third of Democrats say that they would support um, a wall between U.S. and Mexico. And that has, of course, fallen dramatically. I think it's in single digits. They don't have the numbers clearly marked on the chart, but, um, it, you know, Independents have kind of stayed a little bit the same. So the aggregate numbers stayed the same, but Republicans have become much more pro-wall, Democrats much more opposed. Um, and the president's job approval has, uh, it looks as though it has leveled off in not so great territory. Um, NBC Wall Street Journal finds it uh, at about 54% disapprove. Uh, when you take a look at his overall job approval from the uh, Real Clear Politics average, they show 55.5% disapprove, 40% approve, or pardon me, 41% approve. So the numbers have been trending downwards, and I think as of the last week have sort of stabilized. Um, but no telling what will happen that, if the government shuts down yet again. Right, right. And, you know, Rasmussen was in kind of the last wave of public polls, so I don't know if that's playing a role. But, I, you know, I, it, it doesn't seem like they're dropping farther, but they may be, but they haven't seemed to be rebounding either. So thinking a little bit, this and I wanted to talk about this next poll because I think it sets the scene for Talking 2020, um, sure. is polling that Axios and SurveyMonkey did about uh, capitalism and socialism. Uh, this is something where I get asked a lot because I'm on the youth vote beat, you know, right. oh, don't the kids these <laughs> days all love socialism? Um, so I wrote a column about it for the examiner, if you want to check it out, about uh, sort of trying to break this down. But overall, SurveyMonkey and Axios find 61% of Americans with a positive reaction to the word capitalism. Uh, only 39% have a positive uh, reaction to the word socialism. So capitalism has a much better kind of fave on fave. But there are big generational issues here. Um, when you take a look by age, uh, the view uh, views on capitalism, um, the overall crosstabs on age don't really change that much. Young people and old people, it tends to be between 50 some percent and like in the low 60s of what people think, you know, positive view of capitalism. Where for socialism, however, there are huge age differences on this. Young people much more interested in socialism than older people. Um, for Democrats, actually, 75% of young Democrats feel positively about the word socialism. And even 29% of Republicans feel positively about the word socialism. Now, I mentioned last week, you know, in one of us, the surveys I had done at Echelon, you know, trying to work through the wonderful world of online polling and you make sure you have all of your questions rotated. But we found in one of our recent surveys that, you know, you had a really high fave on fave for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez among young conservative men. And it was like, well, is that true? Or is that, you know, an artifact of is is male coming, you know, is, is this like people picking the first 
thing that they see. And so that's why we're getting a lot of young conservative men with uh, positive, you know, who knows. Um, but I think this, I mean, either this poll is suffering from the same issue or it is true that there is like this weird coalition of young conservatives who may not, who, who, who think socialism is okay. I mean, again, it's only 29% in this survey. Um, but I, I just thought that was a fascinating finding. Um, the other thing to point out about young Republicans in this poll was that their job approval of President Trump is fairly soft. Um, overall, you do find 81% of young Republicans holding a, you know, saying they approve of the job Trump is doing. It's lower than 90% and the 96% you see for um, more middle-aged or older Republicans. But for young Republicans, that strongly approved number actually falls below half. A lot of them have a somewhat approve of the job President Trump is doing. And fully one in five young Republicans actually disapprove of the job Trump is doing. So not, not a majority, um, but his job approval is soft in terms of its uh, intensity with young Republicans. So mm. just something to throw out there for Democrats to keep in mind as they're headed toward 2020, young Republicans, they're mostly with the president, but like a weirdly high proportion of them are kind of okay with socialism. Hey, that's, we, we need them. As long as, you know, people aren't on your side, aren't reading, you know, the selfie vote 2.0, then we can, you know, we can get them back. And I know just the <laughs> member of Congress to go reach out to them. <laughs> well, it was um, funny <laughs> earlier this week, Matt Gates, the, you know, Republican yeah. millennial guy yeah. from Florida, he came out and said, like, he wants to be the AOC of the right. And I thought, oh, there's my young conservative men who love AOC. Like, this is my crosstab. It's not a methodological issue. It's a fact. Fascinating. So there's, there's uh, a guy on the left who um, he's the guy who like watches Fox News in, in Fox and Friends and like tweets out the comparison of what Fox and Friends says compared to what the president tweets to kind of pair them up against each other and yep. um, his his name is like one letter off from that member of Congress so was, there's this constant like running theme of like every time the congressman gets in the news like that guy's like oh is yeah go. this is a bad day for me <laughs> <laughs> like there was like one day like that congressman was like his name was being floated as chief of staff and like the guy who watches fox and friends and tweets about it was like uh-oh <laughs> this is not gonna be good for me <laughs> anyway breaking news i the rain has stopped there is now a massive rainbow like full half circle you know like the full circle of the, the full half thing of the rainbow, like the whole rainbow from beginning to end is right next to me. So anyway, um, I don't know. What does it mean? Maybe it means something about 2020 and where well, the Democrats are headed. <laughs> that was a good transition. That was a good transition. <laughs> I feel pretty good about that. I just came up with it off the top of my head. Um, so first of all, obviously like it doesn't matter what the polls, the national polls say about the democratic primary for a variety of reasons. One, there are national polls based on self-identified party ID. So some primary states, it's a closed primary, you have to be registered. Some states, it's an open primary. Some states, it's a caucus. Some states, you know, they're all at different times. The client, you know, what who wins the primary in the first couple of states, then it's going to change how people view their primary later on. Um, but also you have a thousand candidates and potential candidates like quasi announced candidates and so on. And, and people don't know who these, you know, who these folks are. There's one poll in here that asks just people as an open net. And then you have pollsters trying to make decisions about who to include, how many people to ask. Can you ask a question with 25 people? Do you just include announced people? 
do you include like announced people and other sort of well-known folks who aren't announced yet? Like it's just, there's too many different ways to skin the cat, but there's one. So this is Washington Post ABC. They asked it just open-ended, no names read. And the winner was no opinion with 40. <laughs> what is that? 45%? I don't have my glasses on. 40 some odd percent. 43% said they did not know. And the people at the top, so Biden and Harris and San, you know, nobody is over 10%. And if you look at the chart, just to show like how nuts all this, you know, the data is for these kinds of questions can be, um, there are like 15, there are more candidates, there are as many, I haven't counted it up, There's, the list is so long. There's many candidates with like an asterisk because they don't have any support than with a number next to them. And the asterisk, the bar for the candidates with the asterisk is larger, it's a longer bar than Biden with 9%. I that, that I don't understand. But anyway, this is just like a big, it's just basically a column of names with tiny numbers next to it. It doesn't mean anything at this stage. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, on, on these questions of like the, the Howard Schultz candidacy, which I guess we, we can talk about now. I mean, is there a sense there are so many folks on the left wait, who are I like... Wanna, I wanna, wait, I want to say something before we go to the Howard Schultz. The Howard Schultz okay. thing, because people obviously are talking about... This other question, so this is like a Twitter... Like, tw Twitter... I mean, this is part of the Howard Schultz thing, but it's also part of like how Democrats are talking about the primary. Like, I don't care who it is. I just want anybody who will beat Trump. Like, that's what you hear people say, sort of in whatever, damn circles. Like, I, you know, I'd vote for a, you know, bag of trash, I heard somebody say, you know, I'd vote for my, you know, for my dog's left paw, whatever. Like, people say all kinds of stuff, you know, on the Democratic side. Or are we trying to find some kind of candidate who fits your particular, you know, hopes and dreams? And so it, it's hard to ask this question of people in the abstract. Remember, the winner right now is I have no idea, right? So when you're asking this question, like, do you care about more about the, uh, you know, making sure that it's a person that you share your values and you like them, or is it because it's just whoever you think is the most electable, essentially, not phrased that way. And so Washington Post asked it, Morning Consult asked it somewhat differently, and Washington Post showed that liberals actually were more likely to say that they would vote for the candidate who would be the um, liberal Democrats, who would beat Trump, and moderate and conservative Democrats said, we're a little bit more likely to say I'd vote for the one kid. I want to vote for the candidate who shares my positions on things that I, you know, like their positions on policy and so on. And these aren't like massive differences, but it is a little bit counter to the conventional wisdom that there are like progressives out there with all kinds of purity tests, like all eating their own in some way that's really harmful for the party. I mean, there's a lot, that's a, like a, th a thing people say on the left. You don't really see that in this data, but I also think that asking this question is not particularly useful because you're not really sure, you know, this is a false choice based on candidates they may not know and policies are unspecified. It's just, it's hard to really get a sense of whether or not this is how people would actually approach it when faced with these decisions. Morning Consul asked it slightly differently. They asked it a three-way person who could most beat Trump, person whose values I share, or a person whose policies I like the most. So a little bit differently. And if you add up the non- you know, the, the latter two, it's still basically divided, just like the Washington Post poll. And you don't see as much of a difference between liberals and non-liberals. So, you know, it it's this sense that, you know, I think people are divided on this. And I also think the question's not particularly useful. And I think the conventional wisdom that this is like a liberal, an extra liberal thing that's damaging is not totally borne out by the data we have so far. The reason why I think some of this is interesting, even if 
I might have worded some of these questions differently is like I'm just I'm thinking back to the Trump example from the GOP primary and like and I talked about this this week I, w- I went on Jonah Goldberg's The Remnant podcast and speculated wildly and irresponsibly about 2020 and, and such and what but one of the things that I said was I think I think for a lot of Democrats they're not going to be as interested in the purity test as they are in I just want to beat Trump that like I don't want this man in the White House anymore <laughs> literally give me anything and that therefore uh, to what extent is personality going to factor into this like to what right. extent is the in the way that for Republicans I mean Donald Trump's policy positions as we just talked about like things like the wall the wall was not a huge Republican priority but now, like, everybody's come around and followed Trump. And so is it more that Trump had this, like, but he fights personality and people just sort of, you know, adjusted their own policy worldview to to, to have him be, like, their guy. But, but it was the personality that was the driver and the belief that, hey, we're going to need someone, but he fights in order to beat Hillary and the Democrats or whatever. Like, you know, none of these have asked about the personality factor. And I think part right. of that is because nobody ever says, oh, I vote based on personality. So it's kind right. of a useless question. But that, to me, is the, like, unpolled X factor in all of this. Well, what's also not in here, which is an unpolled X factor, which is how much folks on the left are going to say, well, I want to vote for a woman or, you know, I want to vote for a person of color. And, you know, and and that's it. That's what we need in the end, you know. So um, and so I think that is going to be part of the conversation for a lot of folks. And so we'll see how that, um, you know, we'll see how that uh, evolves. But anyway, um, but you can't ask that either for reasons we've discussed lots of times. Okay, Howard Schultz. Lots of people want to talk about Howard Schultz right now. And the Schultz, Schultz boom. Um, Josh, Josh Kroshauer, whose podcast Against the Grain I was on last week, um, has a scooplet where they passed out some polling. I'm assuming done by the Republican pollster Greg Strimple, because I saw that, I think I saw that reported that he is the Schultz pollster. Um, saying Schultz commissioned several ballot tests and found a centrist independent polls between 25 and low 30s compared to, you know, would you vote for Trump, Warren, or quote unquote, a centrist independent? Those are, uh, those are my air quotes that Josh has. So there is no name attached. There's no, you know, it's not a profile. It's a label versus two named candidates. And that had the, that had the pollster Twitter, a buzz, all a Twitter over that. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, I'm, I am fascinated. Well, one, I'm, it's fascinating to me that there is a Republican pollster working on this, but I mean, there's, I guess in the other sense, I shouldn't be. I mean, and then there's Bill Burton too, like the, the Schultz boomlet is attracting consultants from all sorts of political corners. Um, yeah, I, I think the idea that like, you can ask people what you want out of a candidate and say, oh, are you going to pick a centrist independent? Um Centrist means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Right. Um, some people may think centrist means, you know, socially progressive but fiscally conservative. And as I've talked about, to my great dismay, there's not a whole boatload of people in America who hold that, like, set of views. Um, right. You know, that centrist could mean fiscally progressive but socially conservative, which is the opposite of what Howard Schultz means. Uh, you, you know, by know, the and, way, there have been lots of stories talking about Schultz, that that position is not popular, and citing 
the five types of Trump voter paper in their like I saw multiple stories that cited that fact that you just mentioned that came from well it's you've seen it elsewhere from the five type five types of Trump voters. So anyway. Yep. And that same by the way, that voter study group where Emily Eakins got her data. So they did the um the whole uh you know the twenty sixteen electorate, the the four quadrants thing that I think I've talked about on this show like a gajillion times. Yeah. Um and like I, I've I've got a column coming out in the next oh, I don't know when it's actually going to run in an, a periodical of note or a publication of note um, about this fact that like the where Howard Schultz lives is is the empty quadrant of of American politics and yet it is very overrepresented in business circles um, and so folks who have made big careers off of knowing what consumers want and building businesses off of it, they assume that their instincts also mean that like they get what consumers want politically. And selling a president is in some ways different than selling a pumpkin spice latte. So I am, I am bearish on the Howard Schultz boomlet. That's not to say I don't think that there could be a third-party candidate. I just think they will look differently than than Howard Schultz. And I think you also need a force of personality to break people out of their partisan uh, corners. Um, and I, with all due respect to Mr. Schultz, do not think he is that. So, yeah, I mean, I, if you just look at the polling question, I'm going to assume that they had more polling than just that question. But that's just what they showed. And, you know, and then everyone sort of had a backlash, but I mean, people are, people are seem to be enjoying, you know, dunking on the, sh- on the Schultz thing, I guess, and which I understand. Um, but I think I would have to believe that they would have tested this in other ways. Like you, it's hard to, to look at that generic ballot, generic centrist indie versus two named candidates and then say, okay, here's the path. I mean, presumably they would have been invested in exploring the path a little bit more than that because this does not quite tell you all all you need to know well i think we should wrap up the show i can't believe that we've actually pulled this off so far that we've made it this far while you're in this cab you still sound great (laughs) to me so i'm i'm thrilled our voices i mean i don't know if our listeners will hear it but to each other we both sound like our voices are a lower register than we normally are which is i think part of the magic of taxi wi-fi (laughs) (laughs) so we don't normally we don't have colds we don't have colds we are just on remote okay so the big game is coming up yeah let's talk sports ball actually let's talk the most important part of the whole sports ball experience which is the snack foods um so uh, margie do you have do you have any preference between the los angeles rams or the uh new england patriots in the super bowl I mean, I guess I'm. I guess I'm a Rams fan. I don't know. I guess I'm a Rams fan. I don't. Really you and I don't care. that don't exact care. sentiment is what everybody <laughs> in Los Angeles is saying right now. Like, uh, I guess I'm a Rams fan. <laughs> like, so. Um, no. So, Morning Consult has launched a poll that is of great interest to mine. It is the U.S. Snack Index, which they're working on with Frito Lay, and they have asked people what types of chips or snacks they're going to be having during the big game. Um, they find that, and this is the reason why I wanted to include this, spicy and cheesy snacks are the most popular with younger consumers, that, that there mm. is an age correlation between interest it, it, with age and interest in spicy snacks. 
which is the correct position. Spicy chips are good. And the number one dip for potato chips is French onion dip. Number one dip overall is salsa. Uh. For potato chips specifically, it's French onion dip. I bring this up because I have to talk about the most insane marketing things that I have seen in the last couple of days around snack foods. So one, it was on Instagram. I think I was like walking out of our recording of the pollsters last week. Or did I talk about this? Maybe I'm like repeating this story. The Joey Fatone from InSync selling no. French onion dip. Okay. No. Hell of a good onion dip. It is my favorite type of onion dip. They are not a sponsor of the show, although if they would like to be, we're more than well I'm more than welcome to sell their product. Call Richard. Uh, then call Richard. Yes. Richard, get me <laughs> hell of a good onion dips on the phone. Because they I got an Instagram ad of Joey Fatone from InSync, like eating this onion dip and it was like with a quiz about like how what type of onion dip i mean it was just like wait a minute what is the venn diagram of people who like joey fatone and in sync and really like hell of a good onion dip like i might be the am i the only person in america is are there more of us are we legion this is a phenomenally strange ad that is silent majority perfect for me and then i saw like this morning a Backstreet Boys ad for spicy Doritos. It's like something is up. Like their AI is creating advertisements specifically to sell me tasty but unhealthy food. And they are using boy band icons of my youth to sell them. And I don't understand what crazy marketing algorithm has done this, but I really want to know because it's amazing voodoo magic. And yeah, I don't get any that's of all that. I have I to get, say. I get like organic kid crap and like women's travel accessories. Like that is it. Like those are the two categories. I get nothing else. <laughs> I've so. started, I get a lot of shoe ads and I'm, because I'm so yeah. hesitant to buy shoes online, like I'm always give them a look but I haven't tried them. There's a pair of loafers I've been looking at. I don't actually own any loafers, but that's my internet shopping. My like the the spicy and unhealthy snack foods being hawked by boy bands is like this is too much. This is just too much for me to handle. That's so funny. Yeah, I um, I mean, cheesy and spicy together is good. I think um, French onion I feel strongly against. Um, but I am. Popcorn. I'm a big fan of popcorn. I'm always, I'm always ready for popcorn. There is one question on this survey where they apparently ask, "Do you, pre- what do you like to prepare for parties?" And it says more than half of viewers prepare prefer to prepare simple recipes when they are attending a party or hosting their own <laughs> gathering. Who, who gets into the really complicated cooking for a Super Bowl party? No, <laughs> that I, seems no. like that seems like a bit not, much. If any of y'all have me. good recipes, feel free to tweet them at us and share them. But like, open up some chips, guys. Like, that's all you need to do. You've you've got me sold. I mean, um, somebody will invariably want to like upgrade, uh, you know, try out or upgrade one thing, but it just means it's like basically it just means it's hot. Something it was hot at one point. There's yeah. no like that's basically what it means. Okay, so um, what did we learn this okay. week? Well, first, what's on the trend line on Saturday? I'm sh- presumably better production values, or at least no, you will not be in the back of a taxi. So this, this week on the Richard, trend line, this is me in the back of a taxi. 
<laughs> Last week's promised Dan Crenshaw interview, we, we held it. We're using it this coming week. So we'll have Congressman Dan Crenshaw talking about his experience with Saturday Night Live. I'm going to have uh, someone from SurveyMonkey is going to be talking to me about a little more about that socialism and capitalism poll. Um, and I'm going to have, I'm so excited about this, Jonathan V. Last of The Bulwark formerly of the substandard slash weekly standard. We're going to be talking about campaign logos and graphic design, which is his favorite oh, thing. Cool. We're going to talk about trends in graphic design and campaign logos. I am extremely hyped for this conversation. Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. Okay, so some key findings from this week. The shutdown may be over, but the tough polls for Trump are still here. And is he in his own polar vortex? Well, we'll wait and see, I guess, next week. Meanwhile, People support the special counsel investigation and wanted to continue. Meanwhile, the big game, more like a big yawn. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter and at the pollsters individually and at Margie O'Mara and at Cave Soltis Anderson. Look for us in taxi cabs. You never know. It, this could be like that, uh, was it cash cab? Like there's a reality show, right? Where like people right. wind up randomly <laughs> being in cabs. You never know if you're right. gonna be in the cab where Margie is recording the podcast or, or what have you. Right. Um so right. what if I was gonna was say you can shared... find this on Facebook, but <laughs> Right. What if this was a shared cab and somebody got in and I was just like in the backseat, like just yammering away, like with my headphones holding the snowball in front of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. All right. Have a good week. Thanks. Bye.